Welcome each one to our adult Sunday school this morning, and we trust the Lord would bless us and speak to us as we consider his word and consider our subject today. I'm going to uh, turn in the scriptures, Second Timothy 3, then uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5. Second Timothy 3, first of all. And there are a number of verses to read here. Uh, But before we do so, we'll seek the Lord in prayer. We'll ask for his blessing uh, to be upon us. Our eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank thee uh, for the return of thy day. We rejoice, Father, that we can be found here in thy house meeting with thee, rejoicing in thy goodness and in thy grace to us. And we do pray that as we gather around thy word, and consider our subject this morning, that thou would be pleased to bless it to us, to meet with us, we to remember the children, the teachers downstairs, bless them, we pray, and may they have a blessed time as they sing thy praises and consider thy word also. Bless the services here today, we pray. Remember the radio broadcast as well that is going out at this time, bless it to the honour and glory of thy name. Father, do us good today and draw near to us, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. So we have two opening readings this morning and we're coming to consider uh, the persecution, the persecutions in the early church. And we're going to split this up over a number of weeks, potentially, uh, certainly next week as well. And so we'll read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and commencing at verse 11. And we're just breaking in uh, to this passage here, uh, where the apostle is speaking about uh, what he has endured for Christ, and it says, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then we'll turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. And it says there... Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. The New Testament record of the early church reveals the great and wonderful way 
in which the Lord worked through the apostles and others within the church to the extension of his kingdom and for the salvation of precious souls. And we see that the day of Pentecost, there were souls that were saved and delivered from sin. And uh, those individuals uh, later on were spread around the ancient world, taking the gospel with them. The apostle Paul then went into the cities of the ancient world with the gospel. And we see the great aim then of missionary endeavor to plant churches. And there we find in the book of Acts, as we have considered in the past, church after church being formed and set up and established. And the aim of gospel preaching, the aim of missionary work should be to plant churches, to plant churches, not to go into one area, see souls saved and never go back, but to leave a witness there for Christ, a group of individuals, a church, to continue that witness of the gospel. And so as the church spread, spread, opposition began to rise against it, originally from the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, and then later on through the opposition of the Roman authorities throughout the empire, and then a little later on after that the opposition of the emperor himself. And so the Roman opposition was seen in cities, the cities perhaps where the apostle Paul went to, it was seen uh, those pastors in the early church who were persecuted, but it was also seen at the high stages of the empire, the high-ranking officials, and the emperor himself persecuted the church. But the first acts against the church are seen in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 4. Here we have the healing of the lame man, Acts chapter 3. And then Peter and John are brought before the rulers. They're commanded to never preach, to not speak at all, Acts 4.18, to not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And so what did they do? They said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The gospel so burned upon their hearts. The gospel had so changed their lives. Christ had so influenced them that they could do nothing else than preach the precious word of God. And that is a lesson for us. Too, because we have received the very same gospel. But what impact has that same gospel had in our lives? Has it changed us to the extent that we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard? We cannot but live for Christ. We cannot but worship him. We cannot do anything else but live to his honor and to his glory. And of course... Peter and John went back to the church and the church prayed for boldness. They simply prayed that the Lord would continue to give them that confidence in the work that he had called them to. That didn't take away the opposition. That helped them to face the opposition and to keep moving on because God gave that grace and the church was blessed and God blessed the preaching of his word. But that opposition began to intensify during the ministry of Stephen who in Acts 7 was ultimately martyred for the faith. Acts 8, and we'll turn to that passage, Acts 8, verses 1 to 3. This passage records for us the persecution of Saul. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that is Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. We see his fierceness here. We see uh, the attitude that uh, the Saul of Tarshish had toward the people of God. Acts 9 verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. This is a man who hated Christianity, who hated Christ, who hated Christ so intensely that he took his hand to harm the people of God. And we find Acts 9, he was gloriously saved. We see the power of God in salvation. We see the grace of God. This was a man that deserved hell because he was a sinner. This was a man we could say deserved God's wrath, not only because of the original sin we all have through Adam, but he had took his hand against the people of God and was involved in their murder and was involved in their ill treatment. He raged against the church of Christ, but we see the mercy of God. And how encouraging that is for us to see that our Lord and our God is a merciful God. And much mercy was shown here towards Saul of Tarshish. And what happened? He was saved and delivered. And he himself then suffered this persecution for the cause of Christ. He suffered this persecution for the cause of Christ. And he's telling young Timothy here in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The world is against us. There may be times where it is easier to live and we live perhaps in one of those times in Western society where it is easier to live as a Christian. That has not always been the case. And it is certainly not the case in many regions of this world. Those that will live for Christ and glorify Christ and seek to witness for Christ will suffer persecution. In Acts 12, James, the brother of John, was killed by Herod. Paul faced opposition in his ministry. If we turn just to some of these references, Acts chapter 13 and the verse 50, it says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Again, opposition they were facing, persecution. If we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we see again the apostle setting out what he suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 and the verses 25 to 27. Well, even before that, verse 24, if the Jews five times received I, stripes save one. He was in prison, verse 23. Verse 25, thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in pearls of waters, in pearls of robbers, in pearls by my own countrymen, in pearls by the heathen, in pearls in the city, in pearls in the wilderness, in pearls in the sea, in pearls among false brethren. 
And we find here some of these things aren't necessarily persecution, but many of these things are. He suffered greatly for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in the New Testament, uh, we find that that account emphasizes that the godly believers and servants of the Lord will face persecution. Who is behind that? It is Satan. He is against the church of Christ. He is behind all persecution as he rages against the church. And therefore, despite the difficulties and hardships brought upon the suffering church, we must always remember that Christ has the victory over Satan. We may be cast down and discouraged and facing persecution, yet we must always encourage ourselves that Christ has the victory, that Christ has redeemed us and saved us, and that Christ will have the victory over the devil. The early church then experienced a series of persecutions after the apostles. And several of the early church fathers faced martyrdom. We considered that last week. Augustine referred to ten periods of persecution faced by the church in its early years. Christians generally lived in peace, undisturbed by the Roman emperor, until the reign of the emperor Nero. And then these persecutions followed until Constantine in AD 313. So why were Christians persecuted? Well, the Roman Empire believed that it had a right to control the religious life of its subjects. So in other words, they controlled the culture, they controlled the laws, they also controlled their citizens and who those citizens were to worship. False gods and paganism being the religion of Rome. We find as well the exclusive claims of truth regarding the scriptures. If you were to go and talk to some in society today and find out the modern approach to religion, you'll find that in this society there is respect toward many, many religions. The Islamic faith is respected by some. The Mormon faith is respected. Uh, we have Hindus and Buddhists within our society. And there is a respect toward all of these religions. And in the Roman Empire, they had their claim to many gods that they worshipped. Polytheism. But the gospel of Christ is a little different. You see, the gospel has an exclusive claim of truth. An exclusive claim of truth. In other words, the word of God tells us this is the truth. The truth of Christ. The truth of the gospel. Everything else is wrong. The Bible emphasizes to us that all religions do not lead to heaven. There is not an Islamic heaven and a Christian heaven and a Mormon heaven. And we can keep on going. There is one heaven. There is one God. There is one Savior. There is one Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one way to be saved. And the Bible is exceedingly clear about its claims of truth. One way of salvation. And therefore, the word of God and the gospel of Christ stood out amongst the religion of Rome, stood out amongst their false gods. 
Rome had no problem. Well, there's a God here and this city that has just come into the empire, it worships this God and they took the Greek gods and they worshiped all of these gods. Every god had respect and honor. We can see that in Athens. In Acts 17, there were idols to every god of man's imagination, even to the unknown god that they worshipped. But yet Christianity says, cast them all aside. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that went against the thinking and the belief of the empire. And then we find Christian refusal to worship the emperor. Some of the emperors demanded worship. They believed that they were, some believed they were deities, some believed uh, great things about themselves, and there was worship. And of course, Christians refused to worship the emperor. Why? Because our worship is due to God alone. And we can see that in the Ten Commandments. And then there were accusations against Christians of cannibalism and other activities condemned by the state. There's probably other reasons for persecution. These are some of the main ones that historians have noted. Accusations against Christians of cannibalism and other activities condemned by the state. And this was a rumor. This was something that spread about. Christians cannibalized each other. Why? They thought of the Lord's table. This is my body which is broken for you, partaking of the body of Christ. It may seem ludicrous to us and offensive to us and silly that someone would have such an idea as that. But that is something historians have noted that was spread about in the days of the early church. That Christians in their meetings and in their meetings in homes celebrated the Lord's Supper, which we refer to, uh, but they had this practice of eating the body of Christ and drinking his blood. And rumors spread, and it was offensive. There's also accusations of incest. And you may say, well, why? Why would that happen? Well, Christians called each other, you know, brothers and sisters, and uh, there was this great love and bond between them that again was twisted and corrupted. And while Christians lived for Christ and, and glorified God, those around were making accusations. Those who hated Christianity made accusations. And of course, there are activities that are condemned by the government. If you were to go and kill somebody, well, that will be condemned by the church and by the government. And so while we say that government has many immoral laws, some of those laws are moral and are based on God's Ten Commandments. And the Roman Empire, though it was pagan, though it was immoral, did have some standards of morality in certain things. And Christians were accused of moving against and doing those things. So we come to the first persecution under Nero. The Emperor Nero lived from AD 37 to 68. He reigned as the Roman Emperor from AD 54 until his death. And this persecution by him would be the first imperial persecution of Christians in the empire. He came to power at the age of 18. And for the first years of his reign, he ruled with justice. 
But privately, he was a sinful and a depraved young man. He had a lust for power that many of the emperors had that led him on a path of destruction. To further his political ends, he arranged for his mother to be clubbed to death. His brother and other members of his family were also killed. And of course, why did he do that? Well, those in his family could have had a claim to his position as emperor. And therefore, as we see many times in the ancient world and in positions of power, to consolidate your position of power, you get rid of the opposition. And that's what he did. But the opposition were family members. In AD 65, he forced his tutor and special advisor, advisor to commit suicide. He was known as a playboy emperor who enjoyed all kinds of pleasures. He was a musician and a poet. He wrote his own compositions. He was keen on chariot racing. And so uh, there were aspects of his character that seemed to be okay compared to his rage against Christians. The great fire of Rome began around July AD 64. This fire burned for six days, it reignited, and burned for another three days. As a result of its spread, it said that 71% of the city had been destroyed. Historians viewed it as inevitable due to Rome's tightly packed districts. Suggestions have been made that Nero himself started the fire as a reason to rebuild Rome. But Nero himself, being in a position of authority, was able to turn around and say, well, it's the fault of the Christians. And people listened. He blamed Christians and then he used that as a reason to persecute the people of God. It is said that both Peter and Paul died during this first persecution. And Nero himself was referred to as a monster of wickedness. According to a Roman historian who wrote some 50 years later, the charge against Christians was gradually changed from that of having committed arson to that of disloyalty. And soon anyone who acknowledged the name of Christ was accepted as guilty. And countless number of Christians were subjected to death. In order to provide amusement to the citizens of Rome, Nero turned the tragedy into a show. Details of how Christians were made to suffer have been passed down to us again by historians. And he tells, uh, this particular historian tells how the emperor dressed himself as one who rode a chariot, who mounted his chariot, who mingled with the crowds who had gathered to witness this spectacle. Christians were covered in the skins of wild animals and torn to pieces by wild dogs. Some were crucified. Others were nailed to trees. Others were covered with tar and set alight to act as human torches. And public opinion, there was strong feeling toward this. There are many who hated Christianity, but they saw the terrible and horrific sufferings of the Christians and had compassion. It was said it was not for the public good, but to glut one man's cruelty. This persecution lasted until Nero's reign, during which time he insisted that sacrifices be offered to the emperor. emperor. Christians couldn't do that, and so these attacks continued unto his death. The emperor was declared a public enemy by the Roman Senate and forced to commit suicide. 
And so for the next number of years, the church enjoyed relative peace until the reign of Domitian, when in 1895 there was a second wave of persecution. The martyrdom of these early Christians then proved a testimony to the early church throughout the empire and to the church in Rome. That church continued to grow and flourish. It was a church worthy of God, worthy of honor, and worthy of congratulations. Dear believer, this morning as we consider this, these individuals and as we look at the persecutions and next week we'll look at a few particular individuals, Ignatius and Polycarp, we'll look at how they died. And we considered Polycarp last week just briefly and how he made the comment that he had served the Lord for 86 years and he had done him no harm. And he wasn't going to turn aside and forsake his Savior. Such was his love for him. The early church suffered greatly. These were not just numbers. So many hundreds or so many thousands died. These were real people. People who had families. People who had children. People who were children. And young people. Those who were elderly who had been won to Christ. These were the pastors and leaders within the churches. These were individuals, the flock of God for whom Christ died. And it should move us when we think of this, of how these people who professed Christ and loved Christ suffered because of the rage not only of Satan, but of those influenced by Satan. And it does not encourage us to remember them. We think today and especially yesterday of those who died for our freedom in this nation and across the commonwealth and the allied nations. We think of those who gave their lives for the cause of freedom. And as the church, we're thinking today of those who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. And that should encourage us to keep on going, to stand for Christ, to live for Christ. At this point in history, in this point in society, we may not suffer as they once suffered. But let us not shy away because things might be a little tough. Let us keep on going, holding high the banner of Christ. And in our generation, being a church worthy of God and worthy of honor and worthy of congratulations. Then we come to the second period of persecution under Domitian. Uh, this emperor was the younger brother of Titus. He was the Roman general who brought about the downfall of Jerusalem. Uh, but this individual, Domitian, was of a totally different temper to Titus. His father was also an emperor. And uh, Titus and Vespasian tolerated Christians. Domitian persecuted them. He was regarded by historians as Nero being reincarnated. Now, we don't believe in reincarnation, uh, but the historian said it was as if Nero had come back to life insofar as he intensified this persecution. He was a man who sought to execute Christians and those who were nearest and dearest to him, again, members of his own family, those who could take power away from him, 
And man, we see this in the emperors, man is corrupted by power. Man desires power. And when he gets that power, he wants to keep hold of that power. He accused Christians of a mixture of Judaism and atheism because they had no visible images, because they refused to acknowledge the many Roman gods, therefore they were atheists, and they were considered to be pagans by the pagans themselves because they seemed to have no gods at all. And despite opposition, Christianity in the time of Domitian made great strides in the empire. There were those who were converted to Christ, even among the royal household, it is said. And God purifies his church during persecution. We can think of those who endured great periods of persecution and the great faith they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. If persecution came upon the church today, we would see those whose faith was real, those who truly believed. When persecution comes, the false converts will bow the knee to the authorities. They don't want to face persecution. They're not truly converted. They don't truly love the Savior. But it's those who love him who will stay. Those who love the Savior who will keep on going for him. This emperor as well, Domitian, also encouraged the cult of emperor worship. And that had been making progress throughout the empire for some time. And it gave the emperor a place amongst the gods. They were urged to offer worship to him. And Domitian himself decreed that all subjects should address him as our Lord and God. And of course, when that didn't happen, he was not happy. Some of the emperors, they varied on whether they tolerated this or not, but this was an emperor who demanded it and persecuted Christians because they refused to worship him. And they also were persecuted because of some vague or superstitious fear that he entertained regarding the Savior, the one who was to obtain the empire of the world, the one who was the king of the world. He also suspected and accused Christians of practices such as cannibalism and, of course, incest as well, going back to what we said earlier. And during this time, there were those whose faith was shown to be light, to be fake. Faith that was really just there in the surface, but there was nothing deep. They conformed to the requirements of the state, but there were those who stood firm. Dear believer, the question comes to us today. If we were to face such persecution, would we stand firm for Christ? Would we stand strong for him? Would we follow in the path of those who had gone before? Those who had stood for the cause of Christ, out of love to their Savior. Many Christians met their deaths at the hands of this cruel emperor. However, his end drew near. He had a habit of writing on a roll the names of those who were sentenced to death. This roll was kept carefully in his own possession. However, the story is told that while he slept one day, the roll was discovered by a child and it was given to the empress. She was astonished to find her own name on that list. Sentenced to death. Death would be coming at some point in the future. And 
Shortly afterwards, Domitian was murdered by two members of his own household. Such was the corruption and the wickedness within homes, within families. I think in our own circumstances, we can safely go home without our spouses desiring to, to do away with us in this fashion. We live in peace. There's not the same corruption and wickedness and lust for power. But yet in these families and in these royal households, such was their lust for power. And it led to bloodshed. It led to bloodshed. It led to a breach of thou shalt not kill. Men that lived for sin, men that lived for themselves, men that lived for power, men that hated Christ and hated his church. Eusebius of Caesarea said this about Domitian's persecutions. He wrote a history of the church and he said that his horrible cruelty struck down many victims. In Rome, he put to death large numbers of distinguished, high-born men of great achievements without a fair trial. He banished countless other eminent men for no reason at all and seized their property. And then at the last, Domitian showed himself to be an emperor who walked in the footsteps of Nero for his hatred and hostility toward God. Indeed, he was the second emperor to organize a persecution of us Christians, although his father had harbored no evil designs against us. After 15 years of Domitian's rule, Nerva became emperor. The Roman Senate voted to strip the dead Domitian of his honors and return to their homes all whom he had unjustly banished, restoring their property to them. The historians of the time record this. At the same time, the apostle John, after his exile in Patmos, went back to live once more in his home in Ephesus, as early Christian tradition says. And so we find the apostle John was exiled to Patmos during this time. That was when the book of Revelation was written. And we find then that the Roman Senate basically acted as if this man had never had the throne. Such was their disgust and their reaction toward all that he had done, especially towards those who were professors of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we close, let us come back to Matthew chapter 5. Savior says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. See, these believers did not suffer because of who they were in life. They suffered for the sake of Christ for Christ's honor, for Christ's gospel. Oh, that we would stand for him against those who seek to move against our Savior. Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There's persecution of the prophets, persecution of others. And the Savior says, if this happens, rejoice, be glad. You're in good company. Great is your reward in heaven. 
Because the prophets, those faithful men were persecuted before you. Rejoice in it. Dear believer, if we face persecution, let us not shy away from Christ or reject Christ. Let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is our reward in heaven. And let us walk in the footsteps of those who have went before. That is important. We think of Hebrews 11, those who went before. We think of men such as the apostles and those early Christians who went before and they suffered because of their love for Christ. What if our love for Christ today, is it a weak love? Is it a love that is just visible on the surface and not deeper? We were thrown into the position of the early church. We went back in time, were that possible? And ended up in Rome during the reign of Nero or Domitian. And it came out that we were possibly Christians. Would we go with that and say, yes, we are? Would we shy away because we know what we would face? We were put in this situation. What of our faith? May we have a strong faith in Christ. Faith that remembers those who paid with their blood for the testimony of Christ. Those who are prepared to stand for him, whatever man may do. Let us pray. Our eternal God and Father in heaven, we rejoice in thy goodness and grace toward us. We thank thee for thy love. We thank thee for the historical record of the church of Christ. This record that reminds us of those who suffered for thee, died for thee, gave their lives for thee. Oh, Father, we pray today that we would be mindful of their sacrifice. We would be mindful of all that they suffered. We would be mindful of their deaths. We would, uh, to think of the remembrance here in this nation, and we would remember those who died uh, for the faith. And Father, we do pray that thou would uh, bless these thoughts to us. Give us that desire to stand boldly for thee, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. Part us with thy blessing, we pray. Be with us in the morning service. Bless thy word to our hearts, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.